It's good to see you tonight, and we're in our second part of a series, the book of Philemon. If you don't know where that is, go to Hebrews and take a left. We're in our second part of our series entitled, When Forgiveness Doesn't Make Sense, part two. And we looked at three verses, and we really dug down deep in there. We'll get flowing a little faster, but I think it's too rich for us to pass over the introduction Because most people just pass over the introduction. Paul writes a lot of epistles and he says, grace and peace to you. Well, the reason we're not passing over it quickly is because there's so much meaning that sets up the theme of the book, which is forgiveness. So you have Paul, the facilitator, writing to Philemon, the forgiver, and Onesimus is going to be the forgiven. So you have these characters in and off the stage here, and it's about about forgiveness. It's about all three of them have come to the saving grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So because of that, Calvary makes a difference in our relationships. It makes no sense to live in bitterness that contradicts our conversion experience. So if Calvary has really made a difference, then, then we not only face forgiveness, we can receive it and we can give it. So, so there's motion. Where there is life, Christ, there is motion in a person's life. So part two, and we're going to look at verse four through seven. Let me read it to you. Here's what Paul says. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward the saints that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Now, you may think Paul's buttering him up because Paul's fixing to send Onesimus back to Philemon, but Paul is only telling Philemon what is true of Philemon, because what is true of Philemon is true of me and true of you. If we have experienced the grace of God, we are changed people. So there's no buttering up. There's no setting the stage. You may think that, and let me tell you why I know that. And I don't have this on the screen for you tonight, but if you'll back up to verse 3, this is where we ended last week. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, anytime you're dealing with two people that need to face forgiveness, one needs to give it, one needs to receive it, there oftentimes tends to be a stalemate. Who's going to go first? Let me tell you who went first. Listen, don't miss this. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess who made the first move in forgiveness? God did. God made the first move. There's always a stalemate with people. You know, should I or should he or I'll stand here? Bible says don't even bring your gift to the altar until you've made it right with someone. You want your giving to go down? <laughs> Think about that one. So, so the Bible's talking about grace and peace to you, Paul says. The, the reason is he's fixing to talk about forgiveness, and the reason this is important is because we've got to understand that God made the first move. Instead of judging us in our sin, 
He sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die for our sins so that we could experience grace. He made the first move. He didn't have a stalemate between us. He said, I'll take the initiative with love and I'll move towards you. That's grace. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is a gift. Grace is what God gives us at Christ's expense. It's salvation. It's packaged in him. We live in him. Everything you will ever accomplish in the Christian life is all because of grace. See, legalists don't like the word grace because legalists say, oh, you people that preach grace, you just do whatever you want. God forbid, Paul says. That's not true. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is the power to do as you should. And because God has changed me, grace to you, God says, to me, to you, grace to you, and peace because grace came down uh, vertically it, it affects us horizontally. Now you have peace. Not only peace with God, but watch this. Peace with one another. You can live in harmony. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That was for free. That was last week. So the story I want to share with you, and this is a true story. It would have been back in about 2006. There was a, uh, a dairy man living in Pennsylvania, and he was a troubled man, and he went into an Amish school and barricaded himself with school children. He shot five little girls right in front of him, injured five or six others. It was just an unbelievable tragedy. Obviously, he was disturbed, and you would have thought that that would have torn that community to pieces. You can go back and read the article. His wife, I believe, was Marie. Uh, they had two little children. His name was Charles. They had two little children. And so about a week later, she had the funeral for him. And by the way, he committed suicide as soon as he killed the children. He took his own life. But the tendency of, of bitterness and anger and frustration to set in is pretty high in a, in a state like that. And people that are on a scale of 1 to 10, their emotions are at 100. And so she had a funeral for Charles, and she expected nobody to come. And all of a sudden, she turned around, and what was filling the room were Amish families that had already extended forgiveness in their heart toward him and what he did. And, and all of a sudden, if you follow this story and people did, that this, this community that should have been torn apart by such a travesty was actually brought together because someone had to take the initiative and forgive. Let's remember that God always takes the initiative. Now look what Paul says. With that in mind, here's what he says. Because Philemon, he knows Philemon's character. He knows who he is. He said, I thank, look at verse 4, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. So here's what Paul says. He says, I thank my God. And, and it's in the present tense. The present tense means this. Anytime I go to God, I am thanking God for you. And, and it means present tense means I continually go to God. And when I continually go to God, I continually thank God for you. That's what he's saying. So there's a love relationship between Paul and Philemon because Calvary makes a difference. So he says, every time I go to God, when I speak to God, I immediately start thanking God for you. It's not buttering you up. He's telling what's true about him. 
And he says, making mention of you always in my prayers. So, so that's what he's saying here. And, and the word, the idea is this is a continual present tense thing. So Paul's praying. He's thanking God. And when he thanks God, Philemon's name comes to his mind. And when he thinks about Philemon, he thanks God for Philemon. And he says, so this is what's true about you. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. So there's a thankfulness here. In the midst of what he's going to ask him to do, there's a thankful heart. That's what he's saying here. And then what he says here is pretty mind-blowing. He says, hearing of your love, look at verse 5, hearing of your love and your faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. So hearing is the present tense, continually hearing. Hearing of your love and your faith. Now, keep in mind where we were last week. Paul is in prison. They don't text they don't email. They have runners with feet. That's how you get word out about somebody. You have to have it pass a long way to get to someone. So it was no easy way for communication here. So when Paul says, I'm hearing some things about you, Philemon, I'm hearing some incredible things about you because Calvary makes a difference, because your life has been changed. The word keeps coming. Not only does the word keep coming to me in my prayers that I'm always thanking God for you, but I'm also hearing something about an observable reputation that you have. An observable reputation that you have. And here's the reputation. Look what the text says. Of your love and your faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now, what this is called is a chiastic language in the Greek. So the love would go um, toward the saints. The faith would go toward the Lord. So you have faith in the Lord and love toward the saints. That's the way you look at this in, in the original language. So he's hearing of this, of your love. Now, love here is an agape love. It's the word that, that describes God's kind of love for us. It's not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Oh, I feel like I'm in love. No, you're not. You know, when we were teenagers, we said, I think I'm in love. No, we weren't. It's a feeling. What we really said is we're in lust. You did too. I know you're holier than me. That's fine. You teach this anytime you want. But love... What Paul is saying is, I'm hearing something, and it's no small thing that communication travels 100 miles away to me in a prison cell. I got people that are giving me report that you have an observable reputation of loving people. And this love, the word for love here is agape love. So God didn't, John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so liked the world. It says, for God so loved the world. Agapeo, agape. It's a volitional choice to, to love somebody. So God didn't feel to love me. He chose to love me. And he chose to love me in Jesus Christ. So when you think of Jesus, who was on the cross, it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love, agape love for you and me. So Paul says, I'm hearing something about you, Philemon, and I'm hearing about some love that's coming from you. I'm hearing about the real stuff. It's the real thing. It's God's kind of love. You're loving people with a kind of love that only God can love people with, and it's making an impact on people, and it's coming all the way back to me in prison, and I'm hearing it behind prison walls that not only am I free, even though I may be in chains, I'm free in Christ. You seem to be free in Christ because you're loving people. Now, what kind of reputation do you have about loving people? It's called meddling. 
Do you love people or do you just like people? Do you tolerate people? You see, an agape kind of love draws people to Christ in and through you. Someone that you don't like, someone that you don't respect, someone that you've had a rift with, God loves that person. And so when you and I begin to surrender to agape love in us, he begins to produce a love for the people that we don't even like. It's called supernatural love. And Paul is saying, Philemon, you've got this reputation of loving the saints. Not the ain'ts, not the people that are outside the faith, but the people that are inside the faith. You know one of the greatest witnesses that I think we have is when we love people on the inside. Because I know the world's watching. See, people that have unforgiveness and bitterness toward one another, people around you know it. And they know that you haven't stepped into forgiveness. And they know that there's a stalemate. But you claim that God has given grace to you and peace. But yet you're not manifesting it in your love. So Paul's saying there's a reputation here. And you're loving the saints. It's not a feeling. Because see, men, we have a problem with this. Because men, we have a built-in GPS system. And we, we like, it's with directions, we like, I feel it. I feel I should turn right. <laughs> I, I feel I should turn left. Listen to me. Feelings are very dangerous in the spiritual life. They may be funny in directions, and you may have some great illustrations, but it's not funny in the Christian life. You and I, we love people, ladies and gentlemen, because grace and peace has come to us, and we love all the saints, the ones that we don't like and the ones that don't look like us and don't run with the crowd that we want. We love them in God's love. And listen, people know when they've been loved with God's kind of love. They know it. They know when you're faking it. They know when you're faking it and you just walk on and you don't really love them. You don't even like them. You were hoping they weren't even there. But see, God's kind of love is drawing to people like a magnet. And Paul says, Philemon, you've got this. It's widespread. This kind of love. You see, you and I are to be a channel of God's love. Our station Whatever our ministry ceases to be the issue. The issue is, I love you in Christ. And I'm going to do anything I can to have compassion and love for you and help you in any way that I can. Because God in me draws me to his love. And then that love draws me to you. So the person that you maybe have a rift with, the person that you can't make it right with, are you loving them with an agape type of love. Paul said, Philemon, that's your reputation. It's like spreading like wildfire. Look at the second thing he says here. This is amazing. It's pretty convicting too. And faith. That's what he says. And faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus. So you've got this faith. This faith is in the Lord. Now faith, a lot of people say they have faith, but they don't have faith. You had faith when you came in here. You had faith that when you parked your car, you have faith that it's going to be there when you leave. You had faith that these old chairs, been bought a long time ago, held you up. So you have faith. You exercise faith all day long, and I do too. People exercise faith. The humanist exercises faith in himself. The legalist exercises faith in the laws of God. I'm keeping the laws of God. Um, uh, you know, the, the Buddhist, uh, Muhammad, they, 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 they exercise faith in something. 
But the object of your faith has got to be the focus, not your faith. It's got to be the right object. Because a lot of people have faith. And so a lot of people say, well, I know God can. I've got faith. I know God can. And they'll get in an airplane and they'll jump out of an airplane. And they'll say, I know God can save me. No, that's presumption. That's not faith. And that's stupidity too. Faith, listen to me, faith is a word in the original language that means to be persuaded by something. It means specifically to be persuaded by the word of God. That's what it means. It's an object of faith. So when I put my faith in the Lord, when I put my faith in him, then I'm putting my faith in a solid rock, in a foundation, in the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, you've got faith, which is observable, and you've got love, which is observable. So it's not, it's kind of like this. When I was watching, this is way back, this old illustration, but I used to watch, uh, oh, the Biography Channel, and it had these shows, and um, cheetahs would run around, and you know, they can go faster than most cars on 45. And so they were talking about how these cheetahs can run really, really fast. Maybe it was the National Geographic. I don't I read it somewhere. And, and, and so I, I started watching these shows where cheetahs and lions would just run out in the wild. And it hit me. It hit me. The reason that, they, there's, the reason that there's so much motion is because there's life. Where there is life, listen to me, there is motion. Faith without works, it's dead. James says, if, you're, if you have real faith, then you'll have real works. If your faith is really real, where life is, there's motion. Where your faith is real, your, your works really do work. So, so, so what Paul is saying is, listen, your faith, Philemon, man, this stuff, this is the real deal here. And everybody knows about it. Where there's life, there's motion. And I'm hearing about it in prison. I'm hearing about this incredible love report that keeps coming to me. You just keep loving people. Man, you're just a conduit. It's just flowing out of you because Calvary makes a difference. And also, your faith is in the right object because it's in the Lord. So I'm hearing about your faith. And where there's life, there's motion. It's the same thing for me, Paul would say in prison. Where there's life, there's motion. I may be chained to a guard, but I'm really free. That's what he's saying here, so in Christ. So what Paul is doing here, look at the text. He's saying your love and your faith sit side by side. Faith and love, love and faith. They sit side by side. A lot of people want to have gaps between their faith and their love. See if I can explain it to you this way. You ever flown Southwest Airlines? You just get a boarding, you get a boarding pass. Um, you don't choose your seat like other airlines. It's basically you stand at a post that says A through uh, 1 through 30, uh, 30 through 60, 60 through 90. If you fly southwest, you've got three seats over here, three seats over here. I've flown them enough to know that people play tricks on you. What they do is two people traveling together will take an aisle seat. They'll get in there. They're traveling together because I saw them talking. I know they're together. They're married, I can tell. You know, so-and-so's married, They're, they've been talking. But they, they, somebody gets on the aisle, and then somebody goes to the window. And they dare you to cross over. Because they dare you. So you get in there, and if you're like me, and you're getting back at the lavatory back there, you're walking through, and you're seeing people at the window, and you're seeing people on the aisle. Very few people in the middle seat. But here's all you have to do to interrupt them, is say, it's just, just get your backpack and, and start crawling. Oh, no, 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 we'll scoot over. 
we'll scoot over, we'll sit side by side. You see, they, don't want the, they only want the gap there for their convenience. They don't want the gap there when you start to fit in the gap. They want to make sure they're side by side. What I want you to see here is love and faith, there is no gap. When your faith is in the Lord, then your love is in the saints. It's just automatic. Now listen, the way you can really mess that up, operate in the flesh. You can have the beautiful life of Christ in you and in me. We've all done it. Where we wanted to release Christ in us, the mature one. And we got uh, in our flesh and, and Christ didn't come out. What came out was, was not good. It's called flesh. And it hurts people. And that's why there's rifts between people. But don't ever blame God because Christ in you is in you. And he can do through you what you can't do, so you surrender to him. So Paul says, hey, Philemon, man, you're one surrendered guy. Look at verse 5. Your love and your faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward the saints. So we see this. Now, the next thing here is very important. Then he says, not only does your love and faith sit side by side in your life, and its reputation, it's observable, but that the sharing, the word for sharing here, the sharing of your faith, that's the koinonia, that's the sharing of your faith. So, so when, when Philemon's faith sits next to his love, and then he comes in contact with another person who has faith and love in the Lord, then that faith and love sits by this faith and love, and there's a sharing, there's a koinonia, there's a chain that binds us, there's a ring around us, there's a oneness that comes. So fellowship is, is dependence upon one another. So when you think about that, there's the sharing of your faith. So my faith and love sit by your faith and love, by somebody else's faith and love, and we're all connected. Now watch this. So when someone goes AWOL, it affects us as the body of Christ because we're connected. We're not the bodies of Christ. We're the body. I don't know how your body works, but my, my arm works because I, I've got a muscle here. Um, my heart can't pump blood unless I've got arteries and veins. I have a torso. My, my, my legs have to connect to that torso, so the body is connected. I mean, my blood pumps through for purity through my liver. So every part of the body is incredibly important. And so it's not an exclusion clause here. Paul is saying to him that the sharing of your faith, the sharing of love and faith sitting side by side and loving faith sitting side by side and love and faith sitting side, that sharing is incredibly important in the kingdom of God. Now here's what he says. Look at it. The sharing of your faith may become effective. The word effective means it has some energy to it. Now listen, when the sharing of our faith becomes effective, that word for effective means we've got energy. Not only do we have synergy that we talked about last week, but now we've got God's energy. So you've got love and faith that's been grace and peace given to you, and now there's power in that, and now you've got the sharing of our faith, love and faith, sitting side by side, other people's love and faith, and now it's becoming effective for the kingdom of God. There's an energy, there's a power, there's a passion, there's a compassion, because energy is energized by one person, and it's God. God produces the energy. He produces the power. He gives the gift of grace. It's all done by him. But watch this. It's done through me because he lives in me, the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the sharing of our faith. It's a powerful thing when people live in koinonia, in fellowship together. 
because then it becomes effective. I used to, back when I, uh, the Candelarias would know about this, but when I was in uh, Hoffmantown Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the pastor left and uh, he, he was pretty well known all around the world. Got to start at First Baptist Dallas under uh, Chris Well and just blossomed from there. And he just hired me, just hired me. Like we just moved, our family, we moved. We don't even have, our truck's not even come yet. We're just in a house on the floor. He quits. He quits. Got three services that are packed with love and faith, love and faith, love and faith. Place is packed. They got rid of all the staff after that. Something was going on. I didn't know. But I said, God, you brought me here. You know what they asked me to do? Preach the services that he was preaching because we're already paying you. We're not bringing somebody else in and paying them. We're already paying you. You're the only one that has pastor experience. So you're preaching all three of them. Well, let me tell you something. I needed an energy to preach all three. Saturday night to Sunday morning. We called it classic. Classic would be contemporary. Casual would be uh, traditional. And then another classic. And so Saturday night, I let it rip. Man, I'm going, okay. Uh, Sunday morning, 9.30, and then 11.15 again. And I'm going to tell you, by the time I was done with the 11.15 service, I was toast. All the energy, all that God had poured in me had been poured out. But let me tell you where the energy came from. Since God's still in the feeding business, I was still in the preaching business because he was feeding me and he was feeding the people and he was producing the energy and he was producing the power. And when I would go home and be flatlined for two days and hardly get out of bed because I was physically beat, I was spiritually encouraged because God was doing what only God can do. He was effective in the ministry. And you and I can become effective in the ministry when we focus on his power in our lives, his power. We become effective. Look at the text. Your faith becomes effective by the acknowledgement. The word for acknowledgement there means experiential knowledge of every good thing, look at this, which is in you, which is in Christ Jesus. That's no small preposition. Which is in you, which is in Christ Jesus. So all of this grace to you and peace, all of this forgiveness that Paul's fixing to ask Philemon to do, it's all in you. You've already experienced God's forgiveness, Philemon. Onesimus, you've already experienced the forgiveness of Christ as well. Paul in jail, he's already experienced forgiveness. So if you have been given forgiveness, release it and give it to someone else. Don't hold them under your thumb. You say, I'm going to make them pay. Let me tell you who paid. Jesus paid the debt, so you don't have to make anybody else pay. Some of you are holding somebody like this, and they've got more power over you, and they're not even here. I said last week, some of you are in, in bondage to a corpse. Somebody hurt you. They're no longer here, but that person has power over you because you haven't released that to God, and you hold it. And do you want to go to your grave bitter and angry over that? No, release it. God in Christ has forgiven me. I'm freely going to forgive someone who's offended me. Here's what he says. The acknowledgement of every good thing, verse 6, which is in you, which is in Christ Jesus. 
which is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the forgiver of all forgivers. You see, Jesus didn't, people say, well, he just erased my sin. No, he didn't erase your sin. He paid for your sin. It was a high price that he paid for your sin and my sin. This is no small thing. But this forgiveness, what Paul's saying to Philemon, it's already in you because Christ is in you. He's the forgiver. The best way I can describe this one is when I, when I pastored in Florida. I've been a few places. But let me tell you something. God's used every one of those places to teach me the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And I've learned, I've, I've learned the hard way. I'm still learning a whole lot. I'm 57 years old. And I'm going to tell you, if you think you've arrived, you haven't. Grace is learned every single day as you bow before him. When you make a mistake, man, I'm quick to go to him. I hope I, I'm quick to say, Lord, I blew it. That My attitude, it was just, it was terrible. Hopefully I'm quicker at that than I used to be when I used to say, no, I didn't really, I didn't really hurt that person. No, I really did. So this forgiveness is in you. That's what the text says. So which is in you. So it's in, it's in Philemon, it's in Paul, it's in Onesimus. It's in me and you. It's in us. So when we were in Florida... We would oftentimes, this is what we did for fun. It's kind of right off of 75, Alachua, High Springs, two small little cities, a lot of tobacco fields. So, man, you could, you could have a fire. And so we would build these fires in the fields of uh, the people that went to my church because they owned the land. And so we'd just have a fire and everybody come and have a fire. We'd just burn a little wood and we'd... Uh, have us some s'mores, and we'd eat some. We'd, we'd kill the turkey. We'd, we'd de- deal with the turkey. We did it all right there, fried turkey, everything right there in the field. Well, one time they gave me this poker, and they said, put the poker in the fire and kind of stir the fire up. So I put the poker in the fire. Did, I'm a city boy. I don't know any of this stuff, so I just put the I left it in there like this. We were in lawn chairs, and I remember taking that uh, fire, uh, that poker, and I set it right over here. And all of a sudden, everybody's looking at me, fire, fire. I was like, of course there's a fire. No, fire over here. The field starts burning. Now, here's the point. You have to get the poker in the fire to get the fire in the poker. Christ in me, Christ in you. The fire's got to be there. So once the fire's there, it becomes widespread. It's in you, but now God wants to spread Christ out through you into the world. So he says here, it's in you. Now watch this, and it's in Christ Jesus. That's where it's found. You remember a few years ago, uh, this is 2010, BP had a little uh, mishap in the Gulf. You all remember that? I remember where I was watching it. I almost bought their stock before this happened, but I watched the stock go, I'm, like, I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if this is a good time to buy. No, they're going to probably go all the way down. So anyway, there's a whole other story. But anyway, BP, uh, you, you know the story. They, something that is a valuable resource, oil. They drilled deep over a mile long into the Gulf through mud and shell to, to retrieve this beautiful, valuable resource that we call oil. But somehow there was a mishap. There was a backflow preventer problem. Something happened, and millions and millions of barrels of oil began to leak out of that place that they were trying to cap off when it was leaking. 87 days later, the gulf was filled with oil for 50 miles because of a little bit of a valuable resource 
that became an agent of destruction because somebody didn't know how to handle it. Christ in you, in me, is a valuable resource. You can't get any more value than Christ in you. But it can become an agent of destruction, not Christ, but Christ in me. If I don't love the saints and if I don't have my faith in the Lord, then that which is valuable can become destructive when the flesh presents it. So Christ in me, doing through me what I can't do as I release the mature one is a beautiful thing. Oil is a valuable resource, but it became an agent of destruction. And you read in Revelation 8 where it says the blood is all over the water. If you would have took a match, you could have put it on top of that oil in the gulf and it would have lit the whole gulf up. Because of the agent of destruction, somebody mishandled it. Don't mishandle Christ in you. Don't do it. All of us have come to a place, I know I've done it more than once, more than twice, more than 10 times where I have operated in the flesh and I have wounded someone with my words or my actions. And when I got back in bed at night, I thought, that wasn't Christ. He, he doesn't do that. My flesh overcame me instead of Christ overcoming me. So you always want to yield to the mature one. He says here, Paul says to Philemon, you got it, man. You got this valuable resource. It's in Christ and it's in you. The fire's in the poker and the poker's in the fire. It's in you, this well, this reservoir of grace and peace is just wanting to go out so your life can be touched. And here's what he says to him. Look at the text. Verse 7, and we'll be done. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. He said, Philemon, I've got joy. Because I'm watching you operate and I'm hearing these reports. You know, a lot of people say, well, the devil took my joy. The devil ain't got that. He can't take your joy. Did you hand it to him? Because he didn't give you your joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, people, well, the devil, he took my money. He took my house. He took my, no, he didn't. He didn't do that. You gave it over. You handed it, if that's the case. Because he says the joy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness depends on what happens to me. Joy depends on who's deposited in me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So he says, Philemon, you've got this joy here. Look at this. He says, for we have great joy and consolation. That means encouragement in your love. The word encouragement here means to come alongside. Because the hearts, look at this, of the saints that have been loved by you, have been refreshed. The word for refresh, and I'll close with this, means to relieve the pain from someone. Are you a refreshing person? Do you, when people see you coming, do they say, oh, no? Because we all have people when we see them coming, and I've already been, I'm the one that's honestly told you from the platform in, the, in big church and in this little church that when I see certain people coming, I take another route because I'm a staff member and I know, the, I know the ins and outs of this place. And the reason I do that, I ain't got time to deal with the same stuff we dealt with for the last year and a half. Go to the counseling ministry. Seriously. I do, others do, go to the counseling ministry, but they'll come to you. Now listen, you may say that's not loving the saints. Yeah, it is, it's called speaking the truth in love. I don't do it mean. 
Well, kind of, because I escaped, <laughs> but not for real. <laughs> but mostly, if I'm surrendered to the Lord, I'm a refreshing person. Uh, COVID, I'm, I'm a little more cautious uh, than other people, and that's just me. I've, I've got people in my family that I'm, I care for, so it's, it's different for me, different for you. It's not a political thing. Um, but I'm a refreshing person. Just naturally, I am, but my wire, the way I'm made up. But when Christ in me is pouring his life through me, then, then that refreshment is taken to a whole nother level because it's not natural anymore, it's supernatural. So, so I can refresh people. I can relieve pain from people. Not that I'm a physician, but if you've ever been to the dentist and you've had a lot of pain in your tooth and maybe you've had a root canal and you know how that hurts, you go to the dentist and they, they, they relieve the pain, they, they give you some medicine, they stick some shots in there, they, they, they do the work of, of making the root canal right, and then later on you, you've been relieved of the pain. Let me close with this illustration because I think it'll drive the point home about refreshing people. And it's a true story. Many years ago, a teacher that was uh, teaching 12th graders, it was their senior year, and if, if you can think back and draw back and reach back that far, <laughs> you remember how you were just out of it? You didn't care a lick about anything. You had senioritis. I had it. We all had it. Just get, out, just get me through this. I just want to just get me through whatever I need to do. So this senior teacher could tell for the students that she was speaking to that they had just had enough. They were done. It's over. So she said, I'm going to try something. I'm going to try to encourage them. So she would take a ribbon, and she would take a ribbon, and she would walk over to a student, and she would speak words of life and refreshment into them, probably ones she disciplined and had issues with. And she would say, this is what I have seen in you. This is what value you are. And she began to place ribbons on them. And then she passed out three ribbons to each student. And she said, I want you to go refresh somebody. So the story goes, this one gentleman who struggled with his relationship with his father, he took the ribbon and he tells the story of how he took the ribbon and he said, I just need to encourage my dad. My dad has not been there for me. My dad is a workaholic. He is an alcoholic. He doesn't even hardly know my name. But because of this affirmation that I received from my teacher, I'm going to go do this to my dad. And the teacher's instructions were, you affirm them and you ask them to stand and you pin the ribbon on them. So he went home that night and he waited and he waited and he waited and he waited for his dad to get home because his dad never came home before nine. Then he would eat and he said, Dad, if I could just have a moment with you. And he spoke words of refreshment and life into his dad. His dad was just kind of stonewalled. And his dad was um, probably thinking of all the times he had rejected his son, all the times he wasn't there. He was probably having feelings of shame disappointment, but his son spoke words of refreshment to him. So he went to bed that night, got up the next morning and said, you know, I've got a boss, the man said. I've got, oh, by the way, the son pinned, pinned it on his dad, which is kind of uncomfortable. And then the man got up the next morning, he said, I've got a boss that's a workaholic like me, an alcoholic like me, uh, doesn't even probably know the names of his kids, but he does provide for me a good livelihood, so I think I'm going to refresh him with words of encouragement. He went into his boss. He said, boss, this is going to be different than you've probably ever had anybody do anything. And this is kind of weird in a way, but I just want to thank you for the livelihood that, that I have because of the business that you have shared with us and, and with me personally, and you hired me. 
and I've learned a lot from you. And this boss um, probably never received any affirmation and encouragement in his life, and he kind of just took it in. And then the gentleman said, would you stand up? I'd like to just pin this ribbon on you to thank you for what you mean to me and providing for my family back home the finances that we need to make it. And so the boss is kind of awkward, pinned it on him, and he's like, oh, boy. Well, the boss goes home. You kind of get the ripple effect here. The boss goes home, and he knows that he's a workaholic. He knows that he hasn't spent any time with his son. He knows that he doesn't really have a good relationship with his son, and he goes home to his son, and he said, because, kind of because, he kind of shared the story, because of what happened to me, I just, I just want to tell you that your, your mom and I love you. And we care for you. And, and your mom, I love her, but underneath her, you're next. And I love, I love you. And I just want to, I want to ask you to just forgive me for for not being there for you. And and I just want to, I want to be a better dad. And I and I don't want to work the long hours anymore. I want to have a relationship. And the kid just fell apart and started bawling. He went to his room to get a note. And he got the note. And it was a suicide note that he had, was going to give his mom and dad the next day. But because he was refreshed, somebody spoke into his life. He didn't go through with his plans. Can I tell you the power of loving the Lord and loving the saints and becoming effective in the body of Christ, which is in you, Christ in you. Let's be a refreshing people for God's glory. Father, we come. We are just looking at a little book that most people don't even know is in the Bible. It is a powerful book. It has convicted me as I read it, as I study it. I'm far from where I need to be. But I know your word is living, it's active, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides. It lets us know what comes from us and what comes from you. That's what Hebrews tells us. So I pray for the people in this room. I pray for those that are streaming. God, that we may just take a fresh look at our lives, a little introspection and say, Lord, what, what, am I a refreshment in the body of Christ? Am I letting my flesh rule and reign and destroying relationships in front of me? Or am I letting Christ rule and reign and a reservoir of splashing grace is going upon people because you live in me. You live in us. So Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would speak life and truth to us. All forgiveness starts with you. You initiated it. Grace came to us. And because of that peace, is in our heart, and that peace goes horizontal. So this text really has power-packed meaning when we think about, oh yeah, I'll just refresh somebody. No, Christ in you will refresh them if you'll be an available vessel. So I'm asking you maybe, maybe to pin a ribbon on somebody as the Lord would lead you, of encouragement. Maybe somebody you've hurt. Maybe somebody that you don't even know. Maybe God's going to put you in the path of someone that needs to hear a hello. Have a smile. Let it be Christ in you. Father, we thank you for the grace and forgiveness that comes only through Jesus Christ. I pray for anybody here.
that has never received grace and peace through the finished work on the cross, that they would do it now. Just repent. In your heart, say, God, I've so far missed it. I've missed it so badly, I don't, but I'm not missing it tonight. I'm coming to you, repenting of my sin, receiving you as my Savior, acknowledging that I believe in the one true and only God. My belief now, I want it to match my behavior because Christ in me has given me a new start. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.